Welcome to tonight's tale, a fairy tale theater podcast. We're your hosts. I'm Emily. I'm from Atlanta, Georgia, and I'm joined by my beautiful co-host, Eric. Hi, I'm Eric. I'm from New York. And we've both been lifelong fans of fairy tale theater. I grew up watching it when it originally aired in the 1980 and used to hunt my local video stores and libraries looking for all the episodes. Exactly the same. I used to go on this treasure hunt to try to find them at the local Borders or Barnes and Noble or Blockbuster, wherever I could find them. Rite Aid even once. Rite Aid, really? Yeah. (laughs) So we are going through every episode of Fairy Tale Theater in alphabetical order. Once upon a time, I had my own website dedicated to fairy tale theater. And so I went through every single episode in alphabetical order. So this podcast is kind of a sequel to that, so to speak. So we are starting at the very beginning and the very first episode in alphabetical order, ironically, is one of the later ones that aired. So that would be Aladdin and his wonderful lamp. So Aladdin is actually episode 23. It's season five, episode one. Aladdin's air date was July 14th, 1986. So towards the end of the series, right, Emily? Yeah, that's what I was thinking. I'm like, I, I remember it being one of the later, later episodes to air. The first question that I have is, what do you remember off the top of your head of this episode? Well, the first thing that comes to mind is that it's directed by the great Tim Burton before he was Tim Burton. So he was just a young, really nothing director at this time who Shelley took a chance on. Exactly. Very unknown. And yeah, that's, that's what I mostly, mostly stands out to me. Besides, of course, Robert Carradine, who I knew when I was younger from Lizzie McGuire. Oh, wow. (laughs) He was the dad of Lizzie McGuire. And then, of course, James Earl Jones, who, I mean, goes without saying, the great James Earl Jones. Every, every, the genie. James Earl Jones. And it's, it might be generational, you know? Like, my dad thinks of James Earl Jones, he thinks Darth Vader. I remember James Earl Jones from this, and I remember him from some TV movies in the 80s. And then younger people go, he's Mufasa. (laughs) (laughs) Like you, the first thing that comes to mind when I think of this episode is Tim Burton. I did have the fortune of meeting Shelley Duvall, and I remember asking her, how did Tim Burton end up directing Aladdin? And she said she had worked with him when he directed her in Frankenweenie. And she thought, this kid is crazy talented. She's like, a little out there. But she really admired it. So that's kind of why she gave him a big chance. And I believe this aired around the time he made his big directorial debut, which, of course, was Pee-wee's Big Adventure. So he was kind of working on both at the same time. I think Pee-wee's Big Adventure came out the year before. Yes, in 85. This, and and this, this came out in 86. That makes sense. So as we said, this was Tim Burton before Tim Burton was Tim Burton. I right. also, I remember Robert Carradine. 
I'm not too familiar with Robert Carradine's work. I'm kind of more familiar with his family. I know his brother was David Carradine and his dad was John Carradine. So I was more familiar with his family's legacy. And then I have to mention Leonard Nimoy. (laughs) He comes to mind because I will admit it, I'm a Trekkie. So Spock himself was in this episode. (laughs) For those of us who are Trekkies, it's very cool in this episode because we've got James Earl Jones, who was Darth Vader. And we've got Leonard Nimoy, who was Fox. So we've got Star Trek and Star Wars in this episode. Yes, I love that. <laughs> so, Eric, do you remember loving this episode, hating it? What What do you remember? I remember really liking it. I remember being a solid episode for me. It definitely wasn't one of the ones that there are some episodes, which we'll get to later when we're doing our recaps, that I would never go back and really rewatch it unless I really had to. <laughs> same and this isn't one of them this I do actually enjoy it's very enjoyable it's very entertaining it's very campy Shelly did a great job choosing Tim Burton (laughs) for those of you don't know what Frank and Weenie is it's short film that Disney Channel put on back in the day of Disney Channel when you had to pay and subscribe for it and it had better content (laughs) (laughs) and Shelly was cast in it Shelly's the mom in Frank and Weenie now this of course did spawn the later animated feature film, but this was, you know, a short film that they aired on Disney Channel. About the origin of the story, Aladdin and His Wonderful Lamp, I'm normally pretty good with the original fairy tales, but I will admit this is one story whose origin I am not that familiar with. I have not read uh, Thousand and One Nights or Arabian Nights, I believe is the shortened version. I... I'm pretty sure the original story took place in China, although it's traditionally given an Arabian setting here and in Disney. I know there's a genie at the ring and I think there's a flying carpet, but that's it. That's really all I know about the original story, I'm embarrassed to say. I think you've read it though. Yes, I have. I have read the original story from Arabian Nights. It is very long. (laughs) I can believe it. It was a struggle. So it it did take place in China, right? Yes. Aladdin is actually a boy living with his mother and in poverty in a town in China. Any huge differences stand out to you having read the book and seen the show, like the characterizations or themes or anything? The big one that, that stands out to me is that Aladdin's not really a likable character. (laughs) okay he's definitely not someone you would root for he's definitely not someone that's portrayed very well oh so he's kind of an anti-hero yeah which is a huge difference from this one obviously and the more well-known to most people the disney version which we'll discuss a few times as well because there are a lot of really well this this came before the disney version so probably did influence it quite a bit i'm sure as this was the only filmed version, I think, before that. The only major one, and certainly. Yeah. This was definitely the first major Hollywood one before the Disney one came out. Yes, I agree. Doing our recap and rewatch of the episode. The episode starts with the introduction of our beautiful friend, Shelley Duvall, whom we love. Yes. So it starts with Shelly on the desert set. 
Legend has it that good fortune smiles upon those most deserving. Tonight's tale, however, follows the adventures of a rather lazy young man who seems to stumble upon fortune. But what he does with his simple lamp proves him a most deserving hero. Like you were saying how Aladdin was kind of an anti-hero in the original story, Shelley introduces Aladdin as he's not perfect. This is not a story about Prince Charming, which I kind of admire, actually. Then we have the credits. Valerie Bertinelli is actually the one who got top billing, which I find interesting. Maybe they were going alphabetical. Valerie Bertinelli, I think she was still hot off her show one day at a time. Mm -hmm. Robert Carradine, James Earl Jones. Yes, this was probably alphabetical. Leonard Nimoy. The font is kind of unusual. That was certainly Tim Burton's style. The music. Yes. The music was interesting here. It's kind of, it's very atmospheric, but it's not very lyrical. I can never quite make up my mind how I feel about the music to this episode. Well, Lisa wasn't like 80s synthesizer. Unlike some other episodes. Yes, I know where you're going. <laughs> <laughs> then we get the model of the Sultan's Palace, which, yes, looked fake. I thought it looked fake when I was seven, but I didn't care. I was along for the ride. So it looks very stylized. You can tell Tim Burton had his fingers in everything in this episode. That looks like something Tim Burton designed. It looks cool. Unbelievable. At no point did I ever actually believe the Sultan actually lived in that palace, but it was stylized and cool. We open on a market scene. We've got a fake snake charmer, which kind of right away sets the director's sense of humor. We're soon introduced to the fact that Aladdin loves marbles, which I'm guessing is not from the original story. (laughs) Yeah, he's not very likable and he's not very sympathetic in the original story at all. So... Yeah. But but the opening with the genie saying he has a good heart definitely counteracts that because you're automatically set up to think that he's someone that you should like. That's sweet. We've got kind of a a little bit of a a B story about how Aladdin loves marbles here. It's just more, I think, to show that Aladdin's still a kid here. So it shows him playing marbles in the street with his friends. And then he shoots a marble and we get a very impressive introduction to Leonard Nimoy in one of the best costumes I've ever seen on fairy tale theater. It's checkered and it has pointy shoes and it's got fur and a pointy hat and skulls. It's quite an ensemble and bless his heart, he carries it off. I think that it's very camp. I think that it's very... Oh, definitely. <laughs> it's, it's a definition of camp. I mean, he's got skulls. He's got a pointy hat. He's got uh, a pointy beard. He might as well twirl his mustache. I just rewatched it this afternoon. And I went, I love this costume so much. I can't. And I would bet anything that Tim Burton had something to do with it. Oh, definitely. This is 100% Tim Burton style. I completely agree. And I also think Disney followed a bit of this style when they designed Jafar, because Jafar was very much the twirl mustache kind of guy. Yes, the twirl mustache. 
the bigger than life persona and costume and yeah, for sure. We have Leonard Nimoy introducing himself. I am your long lost uncle. Impossible, I don't have an uncle. When I heard of my brother's death, I came as quickly as possible. My father's been dead a long time. I was very, very far away. Now, let us hurry to your home so I can meet your mother. We can feast together and become better acquainted. Forget the feast, we don't have food. Not to worry, my dear boy. I am a man of many riches. <laughs> oh, well, in that case, follow me, dear uncle. <laughs> Aladdin falls for it, or at, at least he pretends to. And then we go, okay, is Aladdin stupid? Is Aladdin naive or is Aladdin opportunistic? I don't, I, I don't really know. But it's an interesting setup. So Aladdin takes this mysterious long lost uncle back to his home. We meet Aladdin's mother, who is played by the lovely Ray Allen, one of my personal favorite Broadway actresses ever. She gets some really cute lines in the script. She actually, when I was watching this episode again tonight, I'm going, she really had some cute lines and she did them with a lot of tongue in cheek references. So I love her. Yeah, well, the whole thing which they don't focus on in the in the fairy tale theater episode is that his mother is by herself now because the father died basically without persuading Aladdin to grow up and take over the family business and to take care of him and his mother. Oh, he he unsuccessfully went through doing that, you know, setting up his family because that's really what his goal was: is to make sure that his son took over the trade which they don't really say what it was, to learn a trade, really, basically. Being a tailor and something like that. Right. And did he do that? No. He's just playing with the boys in the street, which they do show in the fairy tale theater episode. That's all he does. He just plays with the boys in the street all day. That's all he does. He doesn't do anything helpful for his mother, doesn't work a job, doesn't try to bring home some money to the house. And he's, at least as from us as viewers, because we don't really know how old Aladdin is, he looks like he's old enough to have a job. Right. <laughs> so. No, I, I get that. And that makes a lot of sense. That's why I'm going, okay, is Aladdin just naive or just opportunistic? And that would make sense knowing the original story where he's just kind of lazy and not looking after his widowed mother. Anyway, we have... The evil uh, Moroccan magician. Evil Moroccan magician. He doesn't have a name. No, and he doesn't have a name in the original tale either. He's the evil African magician. So fairy tale leader just narrowed it down. They're like, okay, he's from Morocco. He's the Moroccan magician. (laughs) Yes. Evil Moroccan. Honestly, in my notes, I just called him Leonard. So (laughs) (laughs) So Leonard goes to Aladdin's house. We meet Aladdin's mother. In all the years I was married to Mustafa, he never mentioned a brother. I'm not surprised. We didn't get along. Well, that explains it. You have siblings. I have siblings. We don't always get along, but can you imagine being married to someone for years and never even mentioning that you have a sibling? Something's off. Something's off, but not to Aladdin. Aladdin's just not going to look a gift horse in the mouth, I suppose, because next we have the evil Moroccan magician offering to set Aladdin up in any business he wants. I think I'd like to have a marble shop. I can't. Well, yet again, I'm pretty sure this isn't in the original tale. Correct me if I'm wrong. I think that 
the marble thing was just an invention of fairy tale theater. Yeah, it's to connect the audiences from the 20th century to this very old story. Our next scene, we do have Aladdin getting a change of wardrobe. He's got some spiffy new clothes. They go out to this desert set, which I thought was maybe left over from... I think Rapunzel. You're right. You're right. It is Rapunzel. I'm going, I know I've seen this somewhere before. Which one? You're right. That's absolutely Rapunzel. It's also the set where Shelley made her introduction to this episode. We see Leonard Nimoy open the door to the cave. I just started cracking up because it was so just hamming it up. Drop into this hole, into the cave below. You'll go through a long, narrow passageway. Do not touch the walls. If you do, you'll die instantly. It, it was so campy. It was such a reference to the original Star Trek. I'm like, anyway. <laughs> Aladdin, our brave and fearless hero, responds with, Yeah, but aren't there rodents and bats and stuff down there? I really hate those. Aladdin, I feel you. I completely feel him on that. I am not good with closed dark spaces, especially with creepy crawly things. I'm with Aladdin on that. I agree with you 100%. He starts to whine and the magician gives him this magic ring for protection, which was clearly not a well thought out plan on the part of the magician because that sure came back to bite him later. Mm-hmm. Like, so, why would you give him a genie? I know. It's just, what was he thinking? That was, that was a really dumb thought on the part of the magician. He's like, okay, well, you're whining. So I'll, I'll give you a genie. How does that even make sense in even the magician's mind? (laughs) I don't know what he was trying to accomplish. I mean, at that point, he could have just given a regular old ring and said the same thing. It would have worked fine. (laughs) Either way, Aladdin was going into that cave, whether he liked it or not. Because he knew the genie was in that ring, right? Yeah, of course the magician knew that. Okay. So he was right that Aladdin could rub that ring and he would get help. That's true, but... Well, I guess the magician didn't expect Aladdin to get stuck with the lamp. Our next series of clips, I'm going to hand this over to you, is the Cave of Wonders, which is quite an event. Well, from the moment that's very campy, when they're revealing the opening, the portal, where the wind blows away the sand. Oh, with the 80s sparkles. With 80s sparkles. And then he opens up the thing and he goes down there. And then it's, I wrote down very Burton-esque, but like it is thinking, but back then, like there wasn't really Burton. So, but looking at it, it now, we see the similarities of that set design of the Cave of Wonders to Beetlejuice to, well, mostly Beetlejuice, what stands out in my mind. Oh, absolutely. I Especially I, when they're running through the underworld in the musical, the stage musical. Exactly. I I remember when they went into the underworld and there were all these images of frames being offset and everything. And I went, that's from Aladdin. That's the Cave of Wonders from Aladdin. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly what it is. So you can see young Tim Burton was just so full of ideas and he was kind of throwing everything up there. I mean, there's that's what I love so much about this part because you can see 
Beetlejuice. You can see Nightmare Before Christmas, a little bit of Batman. You, you can see so many ideas that Tim Burton had that were just kind of waiting to burst out of him creatively. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's very cool. And then, of course, when he sees the lamp and it's being held by that hand. In a fish? What? <laughs> what was right? Isn't it? It was really weird. It's it so made, bizarre. It is, but it, I remember when I first saw this in the 80s, I'm going, what the heck is going on? And <laughs> now, you know, here I am several years later and I'm going, oh, that's Tim Burton. That's so Tim Burton. It all makes sense now. <laughs> mm-hmm. I found it weird in the 80s. Now I'm going, now that's pretty much on brand. Yes. So we, we have uh, Aladdin finds the lamp. I mean, when you think about it, this was very, very cheap special effects. You've got a hand coming out of a a prop made to look like a fish. He takes it and the hand starts to move around. They've got noise. They do close-ups on the creepy wallpaper. I mean, this is really low-budget special effects, but it, it worked. You really, at least I remember as a kid, being scared. Like, what the heck's going to happen? He stole this lamp and clearly something bad's going to happen. So he ran back across the Cave of Wonders and he jumps up trying to get Leonard, who I just call, I'm just going to call him Leonard going forward. It's quicker than evil Moroccan magician. So he asks Leonard to help him out. (laughs) Oh, so he grabs the lamp, right? And everything just goes, you know, everything's going nuts. So he's trying to get out and the evil Moroccan magician, Leonard, won't <laughs> let him out. He's like, nope, can't get you, let you out until you hand me the lamp. Luckily, Aladdin's smart in this moment in time. He's like, that's true. No, I'm not giving you the lamp until you let me out. No, give me the lamp and then I'll let you out. I was like, no, that's not how this is going to go, my friend. Yeah, no. you're right. I give Aladdin a lot of credit here. This is where he actually shows some cunning and intelligence because before he was very much going along with it but now he's going nope nope some, something's something's not right here so I guess so he says you know what you know what just fine you can stay down there just stay down there just do that that sounds good to me and he just closes it so then we show Aladdin he's sitting there rubbing his head and looking at looking like what the fuck is gonna go on right now he's looking at a skeleton it's sitting in the same exact pose <laughs> Which is hysterical. Very Tim Burton. It's very Tim Burton. It's also very British humor. Yes. I'm going to die. And he's He's like, oh, oh, crap. I'm going to die just like this. This is my future. That's great. It's like those of us. Well, if I really thought I didn't have anything to worry about, here it is. I love that. Well, you got this to look forward to, kid. (laughs) So then, by a stroke of luck inadvertently mind you not on purpose starts rubbing the ring right Happy and answer. we meet the first genie the genie of the ring who is played by james earl jones i am abdul genie of the ring really truly i thought genies were just imaginary sometimes but i am very real and I have to say, I personally prefer the Genie of the Ring. The Genie of the Ring has got a better costume. 
He's very soft-spoken. He's a gentleman. He never bothers. He's a nice guy. I love the genie of the ring. (laughs) He's a nice guy. We like him. And he's got that cool turban that you guys gave to Shelly, right? Oh, that's true. That they recovered. Yes, we, we did find the turban that James Earl Jones wore as that. And uh, there's a beautiful picture of Shelly wearing it. <laughs> yes, yes, very cool. Anyway, I'm a big fan of the Genie of the Ring. I know everyone's all about the Genie of the Lamp. No, Genie of the Ring's my dude. I have a barbecue with him. He seems like a cool They love that beautiful emerald green. Yeah. Very nice. I like it. Aladdin's going, well, what are you here for? To give you what you want. What I want is to get out of this cave. Very well. Okay, Genie gets him out of the cave. You know, he still has to walk across the desert by himself. <laughs> he could have been a little yeah. more specific there. Been like, take me home. I mean, <laughs> what I want is to be home in my house with my mother. <laughs> Just want to be out of the cave. Well, to be fair, Jenny got him out of the cave. Yep. And he had to walk his ass home. <laughs> then we have Aladdin makes it back to his house. His poor bedraggled mother is trying to look after her wayward son. Mm-hmm. He's hungry. And I mean, this is one of my favorite lines. I have a bean or a fig. Which would you prefer? I don't know why I love that line so much, but seriously, this is how poor their family is. You can have a bean or you can have a fig. That's it. That's all I got. (laughs) And all I got for you. Yeah. And Aladdin wants to run a marble shop. I'm not a fan of Aladdin. The more this goes on. (laughs) No, he's kind of a jerk. Yeah. So Aladdin decides to clean the lamp, maybe thinking he could sell it for money. Okay. I'm with you on that. And then we get our beautiful James Earl Jones making his second appearance, this time as the genie of the lamp. Yes. You are now my master, and I am here to grant you any wish that you may desire. And they did a very good job of making James Earl Jones really portray two very different characters. He plays both the genie of the ring and the genie of the lamp, and... I mean, I'll, I'll say it was years before I realized they were both the same guy because his voice cadence changes between the two. It's not just the costuming and the lighting. The genie of the ring is all in green. The genie of the lamp is all in blue. There's that. But I just think it was a very interesting performance. I think James Earl Jones did a beautiful job contrasting the two characters. Yeah, it's very believable that he's two different genies. And the genie of the lamp seems to be in an eternally bad mood, <laughs> which I love. I mean, that's a very interesting directive choice, I think, by Tim Burton and James Earl Jones. But it's hilarious. And when he comes out of the lamp, his mom very dramatically faints. Screams and faints. That was a great <laughs> one. <laughs> that's a great moment. Very dramatic. So Aladdin finds out he's got a genie and he's going, okay, that's pretty cool. Uh, Can you get me some food? (laughs) Food? You ask for food from me who can create mountains from valleys and oceans from deserts? I'm sorry, all I can think of is food. You know, I can respect that, Aladdin. I really can. (laughs) 
He wants food and he wants to be able to wake his mother up. I can respect that. So, yeah, and he actually does do that in the story as well. He he asks for food. Oh, does he? Yes. So same kind of thing. He does have his priorities in order then. Yes. I like he that. wants food. <laughs> well, when you're starving, that tends to happen. I kind of respect that about Aladdin. He doesn't get carried away. He doesn't go straight for the whole Prince Ali Ababwa kind of deal that Disney went. He's like, I just want dinner and I want to be able to wake up my mom. You know what? Kudos, Aladdin. <laughs> <laughs> then we have a cute little scene where Ray Allen and Robert Carradine are talking about the lamp. It's played so clearly like they're talking about a dog. Oh, no, no. I don't want it around the house. Get rid of it. But, Mother, it's a magic lamp with a real genie inside. Genie? Look, looks like a nightmare to me. Please, can I keep it? No! But I'll take care of it, I promise. Very well. Thanks, Mom. <laughs> keep it out of my sight! <laughs> it was just a very cute moment, beautifully acted by the two. Our next scene, we have the first appearance of Valerie Bertinelli as the princess, looking stunning in white. And we have Aladdin hiding. Mm-hmm. Hiding in a pot. Hiding in a pot. <laughs> and this is after the whole street is cleared because we find out later that no one is allowed to look at the princess in daylight, right? Like no peasant, no person is allowed to look at her. It's punishable by death. So everyone clears the street and Aladdin, I guess, jumps in a pot, right? Aladdin <laughs> jumps. Yeah, he did. He did. He jumped in a pot. As one and, does. And when she walks by, he lifts the lid of the pot and just looks up at her. And she looks at him and they like have a little meet cute moment where they look at each other and they smile. And the music. Just young love. It is. And it works. It, it really, really works, actually. So as one does, after seeing a pretty girl across a square, Aladdin immediately runs home to his mother and tells her that He's in love and he wants to get married. And she's like, oh, that's great, Aladdin. Who is it? And he goes, oh, it's the princess. She's like, um. Um, (laughs) This scene reminded me so much (laughs) of when I was a teenager and I told my mother that I was going to marry Prince William. (laughs) I was absolutely convinced. And my mother went, (laughs) sure, honey. (laughs) So Aladdin's mother kind of took it in the same thing. Like, uh, honey. (laughs) Mm-hmm. <laughs> and he says to her, he goes, listen, mom, it's going to work. He's like, these are some jewels and they have to be the jewels he got from the Cave of Wonders. I felt um, so bad for Aladdin's mom in that scene because this woman has no food, no money. And her son's going, no, no, here's what you do. Give the Sultan these huge diamonds and rubies. And she's going, uh, where'd you get those? And how long have you had them? And, <laughs> and you were letting me serve you a bean or a fig and you were sitting on that for how long? <laughs> so it's very similar to the story because he does that. He sends his mom with some jewels to go and talk to the Sultan. So that actually That's happens in the story as well. Mother, I am really feeling for her. That's awful. Mm-hmm. Our next scene is the Sultan's palace. And the introduction is rather bizarre. He's got the most disturbing throne I've ever seen. That throne 
was very creepy with all the hands. It's all green and there's like three women behind it, I think. And they're all massaging him, I guess. I was just, I saw that and I was just thinking Beetlejuice, the receptionist at in Beetlejuice. <laughs> you know exactly what with I- her, With her little, with her little accident. Yeah, so there's like, I think three different women playing the throne. Okay. <laughs> Get Ray Allen approaching the Sultan saying, my son Aladdin wants to marry your daughter, the princess. Sultan's not a big fan of this until he sees the size of the jewels she gives him. She's, I, I mean, I would be kind of upset that you were hiding these like jewels out of nowhere. I know, right? When <laughs> you're like, okay, I'm saving these for a rainy day. That's fine. She's so poor and she gives him something that could have very much changed her life, but she'll give him to the Sultan because he might consider <laughs> I'm sorry, if I were Aladdin's mother, I would have been going, nope, I'm not doing it. We're going to sell the jewels. We're going to buy a nice condo on the Arabian Sea. And that's what we're going to (laughs) do. I think it's a little ridiculous. But yes, but she does it. She's a good mother. She goes and does it. And she talks to the Sultan. And I think the Grand Vizier, played by Ray Sharkey, he's kind of... He's twirling his mustache, too. (laughs) Yeah, which is very interesting because the Disney version kind of merged those two characters, the magician and the Grand Vizier into Jafar. But if you think about it, the Disney version, probably just for character's sake and for time's sake and to make it, I mean, maybe also to make the story a little less confusing, made those two. It's easier to just have one villain. You know, make those two characters just one. But also, if I'm remembering correctly, wasn't there a son? Didn't the Grand Vizier have a son and he was the one who was going to marry the princess? Yes, in the original story, yes. Mm-hmm. Okay, I do Yeah, that. he wants his son to try to, there was a whole thing about where he tried to get his son to marry the princess, where in the fairy tale theater version, he wants to put his name in the ring to marry the princess. He wants to marry the princess himself, which is also what they did in Disney. He is not happy with the plan. That's what happens in the original story. And he gives, the Sultan gives the vizier's son three months to come up with a better gift. If he can come up with a better gift than what Aladdin is offering, then he can win his daughter's hand in marriage. That's interesting. Yeah. So it's a contest. Exactly. But what it ends up happening was... Before the three months have elapsed, Aladdin's mother learns that the vizier's son has obviously outdone Aladdin and marries the sultan's daughter. Marries her? He marries her. He actually does marry her. Oh, okay. That's definitely different. And- Wait a second. So are you telling me Aladdin's a homewrecker? Yeah. So Aladdin uses the genie to find a way- to, to end a marriage? kind of ruin the marriage, yeah. That's awful. <laughs> yeah, I, he throws the groom in the toilet, in the sewage, and he has the princess's bed, marriage bed, transported to Aladdin's house. Okay, the more I hear about the original story, the less and less I am liking Aladdin. That's terrible. <laughs> and he spends the whole night with her. Ah, and, oh, okay. You now, know, returns. Now yeah. 
now we're coming into where fairy tale theater kind of, wow, I guess softened that story because we do have Aladdin asking the genie to send the princess to his bedroom. It's the night before her marriage, which I right. have to admit, I fully approve of that change. It's not quite so racy, but mm-hmm. <laughs> actually it was a very sweet scene. Do you remember that? We've got Valerie Bertinelli all curled up. She's, I think she's in pink and she's just very sweet and a little shy and And she's transported into pink smoke right that's right a little cloud of pink smoke it's i give credit to the actors and i give credit to the director because that scene could have come across very differently in the hands of a different director it could have come across as creepy it could have come across as naughty but the way the actors played it is so sweet and naive I love that. It just comes across as romantic. I give a lot of credit to the direction there. It was beautifully done. I think it's very cute. <laughs> and it definitely it definitely does tie into the, the original story because instead, what he does is torture the Grand Vizier. So that night, what he does is he transports her there, right? And then the genie tortures the Grand Vizier to kind of like distract him while they're oh, I, having I their intimate night. Aladdin says, you know, take the Grand Vizier and send him somewhere else. And the genie goes, may I scare him? Just don't kill him. Aladdin made his line very clear. Just don't kill him. Okay. (laughs) If that's where the line is, there's a lot of wiggle room. Mm -hmm. I love that. uh, So this and the story happens over several nights, by the way. Okay. He transports her to his bedroom. Wait. Over the course of several nights. So she's married to another guy and she keeps being transported to Aladdin's bedroom. That's what I'm right. hearing. Okay, now that's just wrong. That's wrong in so many ways. So he does this over several nights and then Aladdin's mother goes back and reminds him, you know, the three month period is over. And you said that if he couldn't, you know, produce something that was better than the gifts that my son brought, then you would declare this marriage null and void and then my son can marry your daughter. And so he does. He declares the marriage null and void. Oh. And he's so able to marry. It's enough. Uh-huh. Wow. Because it's only the Sultan has the power to do that. Well, of course. <laughs> That's so then he does the whole Prince Ali thing from the Disney version and he brings all of the 40 gold platters of gold and, the, and all the different platters of jewels and this and that and the whole procession. And all that. And then he gets to meet Aladdin. He really wants to meet Aladdin. He wants to meet this young man that wants to marry his daughter. Oh, he puts on a whole parade there. Okay. A whole parade, yeah. I mean, I, I'll give credit to Disney there. They <laughs> they saw an opportunity there and they blew it out to the stratosphere. I love, probably Prince Ali is my favorite part of the Disney movie. Just yes. So beautifully done, over the top. Our great Robin Williams, who was in another fairy tale theater episode. We, we miss him. Okay, that's interesting that that is actually in the original story, so to speak. And I guess the way that he, now the next part in the fairy tale theater version is that he, I guess he has to, because the Sultan really loves toys. Oh, right. Yes, this. So the way that he's got to convince him that he's worthy of marrying his daughter is that he's got to create 
some kind of really exciting toy that he's not seen before. And he's a collector of toys from all over the world. Right. It's got to be something that he's never more, seen before. More imaginative than anything else on earth. Okay, no pressure. And this is the part I remember being confused when I was a kid, when I first saw this. Did Aladdin invent TV? Is that what they were going for on this? I never understood this part. He invents a box with people uh, moving inside of it and singing did aladdin invent television is that what they were going for i never understood this part i still don't understand this part so first he talks to genie and he's like i need something oh cute i need to give something great to the sultan gold in the twinkling of an eye i shall fill the palace with a mountain of gold no no it, it, it must be something that's more jewels with the snuff of my tremendous fingers, I shall create a diamond the size of the moon. No, it must be something that he's... Silver! Easily done! Will you listen? Don't you dare speak to me in that tone of voice. I'm sorry, it's just sometimes you're very exasperated. <laughs> you're forgiven. <laughs> <laughs> you get the feeling, I remember rewatching this today and I was going, the genie's just yanking his chain. <laughs> The genie knew dang well these were all bad ideas. He was just toying with Aladdin. So I love that part. And then he goes, well, what do you want to give him? He goes, well, I'm not sure. Those who are not sure are surely nothing at all. (laughs) So freaking funny. It's just a good exchange. I really like it. It is, and very well directed. I love how at certain times, Tim Burton really directed Aladdin as if he was just a 12-year-old kid. How he's naively taking in the uncle, how he's arguing with his mom about keeping the lamp as if he's keeping a dog, how he's just arguing with the genie, and don't you ever speak to me in that tone of voice. Aladdin's just a kid. These moments make you realize he's just a kid. I like that. It's so well done. And then, of course, he creates, yeah, he creates TV, I guess. I mean, it's a creepy kind of TV. It never made sense to me. What did Aladdin? So then he describes it to Genie and he's like, how about about a box with a window? You look in this window and you see wonderful objects like uh, people and places and there's voices and sounds and colors. I'm like, all right. (laughs) Really? So (laughs) Aladdin invented television in ancient Arabia. Okay. And then you get the next scene and it's these moving lips, like the Rolling Stones logo, or I wrote down, it was uh, the opening to Rocky Horror. That's what it looked like to me. (laughs) Just these lips in a black background and they're. they're Oh yeah. It was weird. It was weird. Yeah. That's the opening. Definitely Rock and Horror. horror. (laughs) Definitely Rocky Horror. Science fiction. Yeah. What's next? What's that song called in the beginning? Science fiction. Science fiction double feature. That's and knowing Shelley, who certainly knew Susan Sarandon and some of the others involved in rock. That's not an accident. That is not an accident. Tim Burton certainly knew Rocky Horror. That's I'm going to go there and say that was a Rocky Horror reference. Oh yeah, hundred percent. But I remember as a kid going, I don't understand this. <laughs> I still don't quite understand. It still doesn't quite make sense. I love it because it's so artistic, but 
thematically, no, it doesn't make sense. So he's like, cool, you can marry my daughter. Yes, Sabrina comes in and she's informed that she's going to marry Aladdin and she seems very happy with that idea. She recognizes him from, quote unquote, her dream that night. And they just have a cute little moment. Then our next scene is Aladdin planning his wedding. He's at home and the genie is listening to his plans. And he's listing his plans for his palace. And it sounded like he was designing Manhattan. (laughs) He's like, there's going to be the Twin Towers. And then there's going to be a bridge. And then there's going to be a staircase. And I'm going... He's designing Manhattan in the 1980s. And the genie's kind of like, and who's going to do this? I love the genie. He's going, what's wrong with this house? It's a very nice house. It's a palace compared to a lamp. (laughs) The older I get, the more I can respect the genie's perspective there. Yep. It's not good enough for Aladdin. Yet again, Aladdin is displayed as a kid. Just not good enough for Aladdin. Aladdin likes... To feel important, but I very much respect the genie, and you can see the genie's really got kind of a father-son dynamic going on with Aladdin here. So Aladdin still says, you know, build my palace by tomorrow. Beautiful speech by James Earl Jones about how it is a day of rest for all genies. We neither work nor sleep nor play, we simply rest. Tuesday would be fine. <laughs> As you wish. Genies apparently get Mondays off. I didn't know this. Did you know this? No. (laughs) No idea. Finally, Aladdin takes a step back and realizes he's pushed too far. Good for you, Genie. Set your boundaries, boy. I love it. The Genie takes a day off, and then the day after, he finishes Aladdin's palace, which can we take a second and discuss that palace so this is very similar to the story he does have to create the palace oh you know he has to create his own palace for his princess which kind of makes sense like okay you're really like this really big important guy and you have all these riches okay build a palace for you and my daughter sounds good yeah i'm with you so he has to build this palace and it just looks like a random (laughs) add-on really like why does it have stars on it I know, it's so gaudy. It doesn't like fit. I mean, Aladdin was very patriotic. (laughs) I don't know. It looks so American cheesy 80s. I don't know how else to explain it. It's bad. I'm sorry, it's just bad. And it's not even a palace, it's a tower, but he keeps calling it a palace. When he was designing it, he was talking about twin towers and... Visually, it's just a very gaudy mid-80s tower. I don't know. Yeah, I'm not a fan. (laughs) So we have the wedding night and Aladdin carries Sabrina in, which is very romantic. And of course, the genie's out of his lamp. So he has to kick the genie out. Like, whoa there, buddy. This isn't that kind of party. Yeah. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Shame on you. (laughs) there's this little exchange between sabrina and aladdin and actually it was a good moment for aladdin he's feeling unworthy of everything and then sabrina says 
It's what you do with what you have that matters. And you've done a great deal. Um, what has Aladdin done at this point? He just lucked out because he has a genie. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm seriously going, what does, what the heck is even Sabrina talking about? He's done a great deal. I haven't seen him do anything. He just married a rich girl. I didn't, <laughs> what has he done? Did he establish a school? What did he do? I'm sure he's got good plans. He hasn't given back to his community. He's not Oprah or anything. What did he do? Honest question. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, he lucked out. He has a genie that built him a palace for him and his princess. I mean. I know, but even with the genie, I missed what Aladdin actually did with his success. I missed where he, you know, founded a school for refugees or something. I, I didn't hear him doing anything at this point, but okay. I guess she just easily impressed. She's in love. <laughs> All right. I kind of wonder about Sabrina. Actually, you know what? I'll, I'll also say Sabrina. That's a pretty weird <laughs> name. Isn't that a Celtic name? I'm pretty sure that's a Celtic name. What the heck is it doing? I, I, I don't know. I don't know. That's, I believe. In the story, she has some kind of crazy name. Long and complicated. The Princess Bajrul Bador. Oh, well, that just rolls off the tongue. I guess Sabrina it is. <laughs> you know what? We'll, we'll go with Sabrina. Okay. <laughs> okay. So we fast forward a little bit and Aladdin and the princess are married. And we have Leonard, you know, the evil Moroccan magician or Leonard as we've just decided to call him. Oh, Leonard. Yeah, he makes a reappearance. And he's got a new scheme where he's just going to exchange old lamps for new ones as one does. And this is the same as in the story, by the way. Really? Mm -hmm. Where he tricks the princess into exchanging old lamps for new. For old lamps. Give me an old lamp, I'll give you a brand new lamp. Two lamps for old lamps. Old lamps for new lamps, which is, <laughs> that makes no sense. Why would you want to do that? Well, but the princess's lady-in-waiting seems to think this is a great idea. She's like, princess, you know, there, there's a fool out in the streets and he's exchanging old lamps for new ones. And I know Aladdin's got, and she goes, oh, actually, now I think of it, Aladdin's got that really dirty old lamp. Wouldn't he be so surprised to come home to a brand new lamp? You know, this Yeah, he would, I, but not in a good no, way. No, this is where I take issue. Sabrina... That was really inconsiderate. Did it ever occur to you that just because it's an old lamp, maybe it had some sentimental value? No. Maybe his dad's ashes are in that lamp. Exactly. She didn't think about it. She's just going, oh, I'll get a brassy new one. She didn't go, oh, well, maybe my late father-in-law is in it. No, no, she didn't. You know what, Sabrina? That's not a nice thing to do to your husband. He's got a lamp that he's had for years. It obviously means a lot to him. And just because you can get a nice new model doesn't mean you should. Let that be a lesson to you ladies. Just because someone you care about has something that's old and shoddy doesn't mean it doesn't mean something to them. Because Sabrina, that decision really came back to bite her. Yes, Sabrina, he's going to be surprised, but not in a good way. No, not at all in a good way. Then we get the lady in waiting going to Leonard and giving the lamp. Cute moment. Leonard 
is just eating this part up with a fork and a spoon. He's just loving it. So he gets control of the lamp as soon as he scares everyone away. Then but he before comes- that, before that, when she's like, she brings the old lamp. Yes. Um, he's like, okay, take your take your pick. And she's like, ooh, this one. Ooh, or maybe this one. Oh no, but what about this one? And he's like, take all of them. He just throws them all at her. <laughs> he just throws all of them at her. I love that. It's so funny. Priorities. Leonard, I feel ya. Priorities. <laughs> he's like, now everyone needs to go. And he like somehow makes everyone leave the streets. Yeah. I don't know how. Very conveniently. Like, how does he do that? This random fool beggar man in the street. Like, how is he like controlling the streets and making everyone go away? Because he's Spock. <laughs> Spock can do that. <laughs> I'm telling you, Eric, you need to watch Star Trek. <laughs> <laughs> I'm okay. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, Spock, I mean, Leonard, I mean, the evil Moroccan magician. (laughs) He rubs the lamp. And then, so now he's in control of the genie. And then we get the moment us nerds have been waiting for. We have Darth Vader talking to Spock. James Earl Jones and Leonard Nimoy actually have a very good little scene it's short but it's very well acted and very well directed he's like oh it's you like james earl jones knows who he is they have a history they definitely have a history that we don't know about you know what we don't need to know about it's just enough to go yeah they're on to each other (laughs) and james earl jones tries to intimidate the magician it's like well what if i choose to nope nope not he wasn't standing for it he's on to the genie's tricks and he's going nope i'm in charge and the genie actually backs off which is a very different reaction to how he talks to aladdin aladdin he can still talk to like a father but with the magician he really is talking like a slave it's kind of very sad hearkening to the disney version when jafar takes over the genie with the Prince Ali reprise. Yes. And he looks like so sad to be doing this to Aladdin. It's like very, very, it's a very sad scene. For me, I remember that being a very sad scene too. It is because the genie is such a strong character. He's got such a big personality and you've been so invested in this character for so long. It really kind of hurts your heart to see him so taken. Subdued. Yes. That's the word, subdued. It's really kind of depressing to see that because you're kind of missing that big, big personality. Aladdin aside, you just want the genie to be able to be the genie. Because with Aladdin, he was more able to be himself. Exactly. Exactly. Whereas not so much a slave master type of situation. Right. He felt so comfortable as to like hang out in Aladdin's bedroom when Aladdin was not in his room. Oh, yeah. He wasn't shy to tell Aladdin when he was being a snack. <laughs> and also, Aladdin listened to him. Aladdin mm-hmm. respected his opinion. So mm-hmm. that's it. I think that's kind of why it seems so tragic, so especially tragic, because you're realizing it's not just that Aladdin lost his source of power. It's there's this great character who's just disappearing. And that's as just a watcher. I mean, just in that one scene, we go, that's really sad. 
I could care less about Aladdin, but I want the genie to be okay. <laughs> so I'm- he wishes, so what he ultimately does is he wishes for Aladdin. No, Aladdin's castle. He, he wishes for Aladdin's, yeah, Aladdin's, Aladdin's castle palace. to be moved. It get to the most bug infested section of the desert. I love that curse. <laughs> I ever get mm-hmm. really mad at someone, send it to the deepest, darkest, most bug infested section of the desert. <laughs> and in the original story, he does the same thing. However, he moves it to Africa. He moves it to where he's from. Because remember, in the original story, it takes place in China. So he sends the palace from China to Africa? Yeah. Well, that's a hike. That's a hike. <laughs> With the princess inside? Yes. Oh, poor thing. I was making note of this in my rewatch. I'm going, that poor princess, she never seems to know what's going on. She hasn't done anything wrong, but she seems to be out of the loop the entire time. <laughs> well, besides giving away the lamp. You know, that's a good point. All right. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so... The palace is taken, and I couldn't watch that special effect without giggling. I'm sorry, but we've got the palace that's interestingly shaped and spinning horizontal. I'm sorry, my mind's in the gutter. (laughs) (laughs) Don't pretend you don't know what I'm thinking about. I can't. All right. I just can't. No, if this is going to be a family-friendly podcast, I won't finish that thought. (laughs) So we've got the very cheesy 80s special effects and the palace with Valerie Bertinelli inside is spun and sent to the hottest, most bug-infested section of the desert. And then we have Aladdin coming back from... I guess he was out of town on work. Where was he? What's his work? This was never explained. What's his job? Where was he? He was just gone because he was out of town on business, I guess, because, you know, being the Sultan's son-in-law. Oh, yeah. We don't really get what he was doing, what he was off doing. But while he's gone, his wife and his palace just disappears and he gets blamed for it. Right. This is where I'm Yeah, it's very odd. It's You know, I I can suspend my disbelief so far, but I'm not even following the logic here. The way I see it, Aladdin has a pretty good, solid alibi. Right. In the original story, he was actually away hunting. He was on a hunting trip. Hunting would make sense. Okay. Yeah, and the fairy tale theater doesn't make sense. Oh, he was off working? What are you doing as work, sir? What are you hunting in the desert? (laughs) No, but I mean, it makes sense in the story that he's away hunting because remember, this takes place in China, so right. he can go hunting. But, I'm going but I guess in that story, yeah, I don't know. I don't know what he would be doing as far as working. I mean, foreign relations? I don't really know. Yeah, maybe he was visiting the next kingdom. I, who knows? You know, like the royals do. Like, they go visit different countries and... Yeah. Okay. Oh, all right. I guess he could have been serving as a diplomat. All a little right. tour. A tour, <laughs> if you will. It just took me, I'm like, seems to me, Aladdin's got a pretty solid alibi here. He was gone. And while he was gone, his home and his wife disappeared. So he's number one suspect. I'm pretty good at suspending disbelief, but that doesn't make sense to me. 
It doesn't. It doesn't work. It really doesn't work for this. But we're just going to go with it. And that's what happens. And he comes back and the, the sultan's like, where's yeah. your castle and where's my daughter? And WTF. Yeah. Answer. <laughs> and if you if I don't like your answer, I'm going to execute you. Because should my daughter magically reappear, she would love to find out that I executed her husband. This still doesn't make sense to me. Um, let's go. And that happens with the original story too. He he says that it's terrible. He says, "I'm going to execute you. I'm going to cut off your head." He's they actually in the story. That's what he actually says. I'm going to cut off your head. His wife is missing. So that's going to make everyone feel better, especially her if she reappears. Okay. <laughs> but in the story, he gets, just like in this version, he's like, give me some time. I will find my palace and your daughter and I will return them. But just give, you have to give me some time. So he does go try to figure out what to do. That's because the Sultan's a good guy and he'll give him a couple days before he executes him. What a sweetheart. No, in the, in the story, the reason why is because apparently the people really liked Aladdin. He was popular with the people. So okay. he was able to finagle his way into and, getting some time. And that's a difference here. There's this one scene in Fairytale Theater that I just, I really didn't like. It really bothered me. So, I mean, if we follow the logic of the story, Aladdin's wife is missing. Okay. His house is missing, but forget the house. His wife, whom he loves very much, has disappeared without a trace. And right. his friend his bff who we used to play marbles with thinks it's funny to go hey aladdin i think i know where your palace is you do yeah sorry it must be in the other coat (laughs) that's a disgusting joke that's a really disgusting joke i don't know why i didn't punch him out like that's a really gross joke could you imagine if your friend's wife was missing and you're like oh i think i found her oh wait must be in the other coat that's really gross that's not funny well he seems to think it's funny he's a dying of laughter that's why i'm just going this is just not a funny joke okay so in the story the next part is it's just like fairy tale theater he he gets a moment where he's i guess when he's upset and he's distraught and he's like what the hell do I do with my life he mm-hmm. rubs his hands together and we we see the beautiful genie of the ring making a come back mm-hmm. I still say I prefer the genie of the ring he's he's yes. a he's self-spoken he's got I'll, I'll say it he's got a better costume <laughs> so I mean I guess it's a good little tick that he has when he's thinking to rub his hands together because he once again summons him and the genie of the ring appears. Now in the story, they do call him the lesser genie, meaning he has less power than the genie of the lamp. I can understand he's got less power, but he sure seems to get stuff done. <laughs> he does. Doesn't he make some kind of comment? If I recall, doesn't he make some kind of comment about this? Or yeah. you have that other guy. You got the windbag who remembers me. And I'm like, well, you get stuff done. Everyone's calling about the genie of the lamp. The way I can see it, genie of the ring is the one who gets you out of the most trouble. If it wasn't for the genie of the ring, Aladdin would still be in the cave talking to a skeleton. Let's be real here. It's very true. So he does wish for him to get 
back to his palace, right? He wants to find his palace. Is the magic carpet in the original story? No. No, the magic carpet is not in the original story. He just gets magically transported. Okay. But I I think it was a cool little moment to have the magic carpet, right? So he gets the magic carpet over there. It is, but from what I remember, and this is a very, very vague memory, but I think the magic carpet actually came from a different one of the stories in the Arabian Nights. So I think- Yeah, the magic, that's very interesting. And that's a very good point that you brought that up because this version, the Fairy Tale Theater version and the Disney version both decided to use the magic carpet. Yeah, I'm pretty sure someone at Disney- watched this episode there's oh they did way too many coincidences here there's a lot of parallels there are a lot of parallels yeah i'm I'm pretty sure the magic flying carpet don't ask me where i remember this from but i'm pretty sure it came from a different one of the stories in the arabian nights and just through the years they kind of got merged with aladdin yeah for sure so then we have the last scene so he gets taken there and then he gets a chance to meet up with the Princess Sabrina. Aladdin! Aladdin! <laughs> Are you all right? I am now. How did all this happen? I don't know. I don't, I, well, I wanted to surprise you. And, and there was this man with, with new lamps. And, and, and all of a sudden, the castle, it, it just, it, it went up and flew. And there were clouds. And, and we landed and, and with this evil man. Oh, sweet man. That was a very Now, sweet. I don't know where he was during this little moment. Do you know where he was? What do you mean? The sorcerer. Oh. The Moroccan magician. Oh, so uh, he was out getting McDonald's for the staff. <laughs> like, where did he go in the middle of the bug infested desert? I have a question. <laughs> it was staff appreciation week, so. What is he doing? Where is he in this bug infested desert? Where? Why is he gone? Well, he wasn't. But regardless... <laughs> regardless is that he's not there right at that moment and it's just enough time for sabrina and aladdin to hatch a plan to bamboozle the evil moroccan magician he was plucking his (laughs) he was plucking his beard that's what he was doing he went to the barber (laughs) no that's a good question i don't know where he was yes they come up with a whole plan and then sabrina had to yet again seduce him is somewhat left out of the loop. Poor Sabrina. I've got a lot of pity for her. She never quite knows what's going on. But she's told she needs to kind of play along with Leonard. She has to pretend like she likes him. That's right. And actually, it's a cute little scene where Aladdin's hiding under the cushions and can see that the lamp is tied around his waist and Leonard even like twitches his butt because he clearly thinks it's the princess touching his butt. Anyway, we get the final confrontation between Aladdin and the magician. He rubs the lamp. We get the reunion with Mm -hmm. the genie of the lamp who won't even hide how much he loves Aladdin. Won't even hide it. He's so happy to have him. (laughs) (laughs) My little master, what took you so long? I'm sorry. I didn't mean to get so emotional. How may I serve you? Then the magician gets sent to the Sultan's 
television as a punishment. Yet again, don't understand it, but okay. (laughs) Poor Princess Sabrina finally meets the genie. Actually, very cute moment. My sister noticed this back in the 80s. When the genie is introduced to the princess, the genie actually curtsies. (laughs) Seriously, watch it. My sister picked that up back in like 86 when it first aired you and he curtsied. (laughs) He does. That's very funny. It's a very, very cute little moment. While he's wearing a skirt, he's meeting royalty. Good for him, I say. Exactly. So still Sabrina doesn't know exactly who this is. She'll just go with magical friend. And then let's also remember that we're looking at the box with the, where the magician is sent to the box with the Sultan. That's shock lock and, and Harlequin, and <gasps> Harlequin from nightmare before Christmas. You're right. Oh my gosh. I never noticed that before. Yep. There it is. Okay. Mind blown. <laughs> <laughs> You're absolutely right. I was calling. They look familiar. Mm-hmm. Which, fun facts. Paul Rubens. Paul Rubens is one of the voices of one of those little guys from Nightmare Before Christmas. And he was in Pinocchio. And he's in Pinocchio. And there it is. And it's all full circle, as it always is yeah. with Fairy Tale Theater. <laughs> with Shelly, I've learned long ago, it's all six degrees of separation. Everyone knows Shelly somehow. <laughs> Exactly. But that's super cool that with the little devil costume and all that, it's right to which didn't happen until the 90s, right? It's a precursor. Precursor, but maybe, I mean, not maybe, most likely thought of those characters that he, not really characters, but more figments that he created in this episode. Oh, yeah. To expand upon in Nightmare Before Christmas. I'm not going to sing the song. No one wants to hear me sing. I'm just going to think it. So. We also don't have the rights to that. It's Disney. (laughs) All right. I won't sing it. We don't want the mouse coming after us. That's true. (laughs) I'm not going to sing Kidnapped Sandy. I'm not going to do it. You're just going to have to think where I'm going with that. But there's a great video on YouTube where you can see Paul Rubens and... O'Hara. Yeah, and they're singing it on stage, I guess, for the anniversary of Nightmare Before Christmas. Yeah. Very cool. It was Paul Rubens, Catherine O'Hara, and, oh, the composer, Danny Elfman. Danny Elfman. Yeah, Danny Elfman was the third voice. Okay, moving along. Then we get Aladdin and the princess taking the carpet back to the castle. And the genie is still alive thousands of years later, looking for a new master. Anyone else want to live happily ever after? And And then we find out an end scene. And then we find out at the end that the whole time the genie was narrating the whole story for us. Which is sweet. That's a nice touch. Although- I mean, but we know, we all can recognize James Oldrum's voice. So we knew it was him the whole time. (laughs) I know, who didn't recognize that voice? I mean, it's it's a sweet thought, but James Earl Jones has probably the most recognizable voice. It's like, no, I think everybody saw that coming. I saw that coming when I was a kid. Mm -hmm. But very, very sweet ending. 
takeaways. What were your favorite things and least favorite things about this episode, Eric? All of the Tim Burton references I thought were so cool. Oh, yeah. There are just so many to point out. That's it. And I, I think of myself as a pretty good Tim Burton fan, but every single time I rewatch this episode, I notice more stuff. Yeah, and it's so cool to see something so early on. So you can still see kind of the nuanced Tim Burton where he really wasn't fully developed in his ideas as and his concepts of what he was as a director yet, which, you know, maybe comes a little bit more pronounced in Pee Wee Herman and then goes even goes completely off the rails with Beetlejuice. So, you know, he's not fully there yet, but you're seeing the glimmers of what would be Tim Burton, which I think is super cool. I completely agree. He, he already had his voice, but he hadn't quite refined it yet. Yeah, like it's almost like he's still trying to be somewhat traditional and hold on to that. He's kind of teetering the edge, like, ooh, what can I do to kind of be a little bit different? And the art direction was so clearly, it's almost like he's just a new film student graduate he's like i've got all these ideas so i'm just gonna put them all out there (laughs) exactly least favorite things i don't think there's anything i really didn't like i mean maybe they were pushing it with the whole tv in a box thing but i understand why tim burton would want to do something like that because it gave him a chance to do something weird and crazy but the convention of the tv was kind of pushing it did I think Burton need an excuse to be crazy in this episode? I think he had plenty of opportunities. Yeah, with the whole Cave of Wonders, I think he had more than an opportunity. I don't really think that we needed a TV. I completely agree. The other thing I didn't care for was Aladdin's palace. That was the ugliest, most dated art direction I've ever seen. Would there be anything you'd change? I wouldn't go for the palace art direction. Like if we're if we're really nitpicking, then yeah, the palace was not the best. Because especially when he's describing the palace, the way he wants it built, that he wants something spectacular, the most spectacular thing ever. That's really, that's what we came up with. I completely agree. How would you rate this episode on a scale of one to 10? I would definitely rate this, I would say maybe like a solid seven. That's exactly where I am. That's exactly where I am. I really like it, but is it my favorite? No. Is it one that I rewatched many times? No. This was also an episode that I hadn't watched till much later in life, just for lack of being able to find it. Oh, this was one that required some hunting to find when we were kids. Yeah. I'm also at a seven out of 10 because while there's, I love the artistic direction. I love just some of the precursors to later Tim Burton projects and I love the acting it's just I don't know I I don't really buy the story so much there's I don't know I don't quite get caught up in the magic the way I do in some of the other fairy tale theater episodes so it's a yeah it's a very solid episode I enjoy it it's not my go-to but I very much enjoy it I enjoyed rewatching it again today so Shall I dare to say what you had to say back in the 90s? Oh, no, no, no. Oh, oh dear. Okay, so... On the land of fairy tales? (laughs) To our dear listeners, once upon a time, I know I, I referenced this before, but I had a website where I wrote my reviews of 
every single episode of fairy tale theater i wrote these reviews i want to say in 1996 just so you know i will continue to read them every episode because Uh i like to embarrass you know there's (laughs) there's no need to do that (laughs) no but it was so good i really liked it It was one of the only very in-depth websites for fairy tale theater back then you know you say it like a compliment, and yet I know what you're about to do to me. So, <laughs> so you oh, rated all the episodes oh, on a so. four-star scale. Okay. Honestly, I have not looked at my old website in probably 10 years. I didn't even know it was still up. Eric, my beloved co-host, has found it. And <laughs> all of my old reviews that I wrote in like, I don't know, 1996, maybe 1997. Apparently they're still up. That's what you're telling me. They're all still up there. They're still here. Oh dear. Okay. So what did I write back in the day? Oh dear. You gave it three out of four stars. Okay. And you said Aladdin is a very mystical fairy tale. The producers knew what they were doing when they hired a rising director named Tim Burton to take on this project. Burton's style shines through in this great adaptation. The sets perfectly cover on the magical and mystical qualities of the unique setting that is so crucial to this tale. Uh, In addition, the costumes are colorful and imaginative, and the story is told sweetly. Okay, I'll stand behind most of that. At times, the script can seem rather corny, but Uh, the sets and Burton atmosphere certainly makes up for it. Okay, I was clearly going through a Tim Burton phase at the time. All of the actors turn in very worthy performances, most notably Bertinelli's Giggly Princess and Joan's short-tempered Genie. I really like this episode. While it may not be the best one ever, it's certainly fun to watch. The atmosphere and sets alone are well worth the price of the video. Actually, I'll stand behind a lot of that. I will definitely stand behind a lot of that. That kind of seemed to still be my opinion today, which was... It's not my favorite, but it's a very solid, solid entry into fairy tale. You know what? That wasn't as embarrassing as I thought it would be. This was, I think, a very fun way to start our recaps and rewatching of every single episode. Aladdin, I think, was a good one to start with. And I'm looking forward to our next episode where we rewatch and review Beauty and the Beast. And I hope that you join us, dear listeners. And thank you for joining us for Welcome to Tonight's Tale. Hopefully we hear from you soon. And Stay like, safe. And I hope you live happily ever after. You stole my tagline. <laughs> <laughs> and we hope you live happily ever after. Good night.